0: Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Before we begin today's interview, we've got a new five-minute segment where we have a quick check-in with some of our favorite writers. So here's Five Minutes with Rodney Barnes. All right, Rodney, talk to me. How's uh, life in your world this week?
1: Man, life is it It's weird when you know I don't know if you guys get to this point sometimes where you have a bunch of stuff going on, and for a minute it seems like everything's flowing nicely, and you're living the idealistic idea of what a writer is. It's like it's very romantic, you're writing exactly what you want to write, you've got the right amount of time, and it's beautiful. My week has been the opposite of that <laughs>
0: um,
1: it's you know. Meetings that get canceled and moved around. It's funny, American Gods premiered last week. Congrats. So, you know, thank you. And so, you get the, not the fallout from that, but you get, you have to switch gears because I've got to go to Wu Tang. I've got to go to Staten Island and film my episode of The Wu Tang Show on April 1st. So, I'm cramming to try to get everything done here in LA before then. But it's like a couple comic books have to get written. A couple proposals, I've got pitches, I've got meetings with directors, and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, it's that part when I've got a friend, Max Bornstein, he probably won't mind me saying his name, but I'm going to say his name, who is the most disciplined writer I think I've ever known, the hardest worker I've ever known. And it certainly sets a bar for where I need to be as a writer, because I work hard but it's in spots, it's like a roller coaster. Like there's some periods where I work really hard, then I go, whew, I'm going to take these three days off. Those three days become two weeks. <laughs> and when you've got a guy in your life that's a reflection of working hard, virtually every day, it certainly, um, it certainly tells you what it takes to be at the top of this business. It really is a commitment. I think it's actually, it's more dependent on work ethic than it is um, just pure talent just your ability to uh, intellectually emotionally endure what it takes being a professional writer every single day and building a life around that making sure your interpersonal relationships your habits your vices that they don't conflict with what it is you say you want to do it's um it's a tricky
0: thing So how do you combat those rough weeks? What's your remedy?
1: Um, You know, for me, there does seem to be a pattern. Uh, I think one of the things I'm good at is when truth and reality hit me in the face. I make adjustments relatively well. And so I need a day to myself to kind of reset. I sort of have a lightweight OCD. I don't know if that comes with being a writer. So my office has to be right. I have to restructure, organize, and I have to look at each thing as its own separate thing. Like I've got uh, seven to 10 open projects that I'm working on at the same time right now. And if I look at all seven to 10 of those things as one thing, I feel overwhelmed. But if I manage them, if I break them down into manageable parts, then I'm able to sort of attack them like you would cleaning up your house. I know I got to wash dishes. I know I got to clean up my bedroom. If I do one at a time, then it's not as overwhelming. If I just look at the pile, I want to put on a movie and then just get under the covers and act like it's not real.
0: Would you say there's a correlation between writers and clean rooms or?
1: I have a lot of friends who have OCD and most of my friends, it's funny, they have incredibly clean homes and incredibly messy offices. Interesting. You know, so it's almost like it's a metaphor for one part of your life working one way, but then the reality of your life, what's going on inside of your brain working another way.
0: So before we uh, part ways on this segment, and I'm excited to have you back on uh, many yeah, more times. Thanks for having me again. Before we go, what's your plan of attack for today?
1: Today, uh, since you guys woke me up, thank you again, <laughs> because I was seriously considering uh, watching Game of Thrones all day. Um, <laughs> I really do have to get ready for the week. And that means part of what I just said, you know, separating projects out for the week because I'm balancing pitches. I've got pitches all week and I'm still on deadline with a couple of things. So it's like it's more preparing for the week the same way that you would, you know, I'm sure in any other endeavor. But it's more of, again, making a schedule. What am I going to do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? And some of that's going to fall through invariably that's just what life is but if i can get the big bulk of things done close to that plan if i can stay to that plan i got a good chance of having a decent week
0: all right man well until uh next five minutes with rodney barnes good luck we wish you the best in uh starting off the week right
1: thank Thank you gentlemen and again Thank you for waking me up because I, I was incredibly comfortable in that one position, that warm spot in the bed that you don't want to move from. It was perfect. And then the phone rang and it was like, Oh, okay. I got something to do. So thank
0: you. All right. Well, there it is. Good luck. And we'll talk to you next time. Thanks guys. Take it easy. And now back to the show. Welcome to the writer experience podcast. Today's guest is Chris Baker. Chris is a writer and games industry professional, currently working as lead writer on the video game Operencia, The Stolen Son. Previously, Chris worked on projects for Marvel LucasArts, official U.S. PlayStation magazine, including the production of blockbuster titles such as Lego Marvel Super Heroes, Marvel vs. Capcom 3, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 2, 5 Spider-Man games, Marvel Pinball and the promotion of Lego Star Wars 2, Star Wars Battlefront 2 and Star Wars The Force Unleashed. That's more than 40 titles total in over 100 SKUs. And he also wrote the book, Wrong Retro Games, You Messed Up, Our Comic Book Heroes. Chris, that's a long list of accomplishments there. Welcome to the show. How's it going?
2: It's great to be here. I've uh, been a fan of your show for as long as I've known about it. And I listen to it pretty much every week. So it's, it's a real pleasure to be here.
0: Thank you for listing all of those to your credit, that that's a lot of accomplishments. So, really excited to have you on the show, and uh, thank you for listening to the show. And I know we've been in touch for a little while about getting you on board. So excited yeah. to have you here. Um, tell us, where are you in the world right now?
2: Oh, I am currently in Yonkers, New York, not too far from you, I believe. I work for uh, Zen Studios, which is uh, the creator of Operencia, the stolen sign. It is, I don't know how many gamers you have in your audience, but it is a classic-styled RPG, first-person dungeon crawler with uh, more kind of a a narrative uh, focus on it than a lot of those kinds of games tend to have. And ours specifically focuses on the kind of central European folklore. Uh, Zen Studios is actually based in Hungary, so uh, I work from home not in Hungary. That would be a very long commute. But I, uh, you know, I do uh, the kind of writing and creative direction uh, from uh, New York. And, um, you know, because they're based in Hungary, they uh, grew up with all these kind of folktales that don't really get a lot of play outside of uh, Central Europe. So they decided to kind of take this idea and make a game out of it. Uh, It take all the kind of different folklore, uh, all these stories that were kind of independently created hundreds and hundreds of years ago, and kind of create a universe out of it. And uh, we're kind of taking that all together and making just a really cool gaming experience and hopefully story as well. And where
0: does this current project fit into the totality of your career? I listed a lot of different projects that you work on. Do you mind describing kind of in your own words, kind of who you are, what you do, and maybe even walk us through how you got to this point?
2: Yeah, you know, it's funny, like, uh, I started my career in games about 20 years ago. And that all started while I was in college. In college, I was studying actually to be in advertising, which, you know, I still have kind of an affinity for and and, uh, there are elements that fit into my work. But I found this, uh, like a classified ad on like this weekly email I used to get about all that's happening in the entertainment industry. Back then, we didn't really have blogs and such. So I would get like this email every week and it would tell me all the like geeky stuff that's happening and all these uh superhero movies that might happen like Spider-Man and X-Men and things like that that might happen eventually very different world now but yeah there was a classified ad for uh this website that was looking for people to write about video games they wanted to have like a whole index of every video game ever made so I was like I know video games. I I used to play them a lot in college. I didn't play them as much. So I wrote to them and I was like, hey, you know, I'd like to give this a shot. And, you know, I, I wrote like a probably like 200 words of why I should do it. And I expected some kind of back and forth, but it was basically just you're in. So right away, I was writing about video games. I worked on that website for about a year and a half. And then uh, my my actual career in, I would say, the industry started when the official PlayStation magazine uh, in Chicago at the time needed somebody. And uh, I guess my experience working on that website got me there. And so I worked uh, writing about video games for about five years. And from there, I went to work at LucasArts, which is kind of just a a shell of what it used to be. But uh, it used to be a, a publisher of all of the Star Wars and other uh, kind of video games underneath the Lucasfilm umbrella. So as a huge Star Wars fan, that was a big deal for me. So I got to work uh, there in their PR department for a couple of years, close to three years. Then a friend of mine who I'd met at LucasArts uh, had moved on in that time and gone to Marvel. And uh, he needed some help in his games department. And I'd always wanted to work closely, more closely on actual game production. So this was a chance to do that. It was more of a licensing position, so it was making sure like, you know, Spider-Man's outfit is not pink or something, you know. <laughs> it, it's to use a very simple example, uh it's making sure the characters are saying what they're saying, they look like what they're supposed to look like, uh the stories are representative of the Marvel universe and that sort of thing. So that wasn't as focused on writing for me specifically, but there was a lot of editing. I actually you could say I was like an editor uh in the the video game division. That wasn't technically my title or anything, but there was plenty of that. And I did write like a lot of kind of one off lines that, that I've actually seen on t-shirts and stuff. So I guess people like them for characters like Deadpool, Spider-Man, etc. So yeah, then after that I kind of moved on to did a little more PR for a company called Gazillion that did a game called Marvel Heroes and eventually I found myself working here at Zen Studios and I I'd had this relationship with Zen Studios from back in Marvel because they've made Marvel Pinball which is part of Pinball FX which you can download on pretty much any gaming console or mobile or whatever you have right now. And yeah, so I've had a really good working relationship with Zen and eventually the time just came that it was like, you know, we really like each other. Let's make it official. So I've been with them for uh, about a year now, close to
0: it. You know, being a writer of a video game, obviously, you know, as we've discussed, we usually frame our episodes around specific themes. I was hoping that you could school us in the art of writing a video game. Does that sound cool? We could maybe use Operentia as the yeah, as you the know,
2: uh, it is. Uh, I will say the the art of writing a video game more or less, is is very different depending on where you are and what the game is and how many people you have and and that kind of thing. But yeah, I think in the case of Operencia, it's it's pretty unique, but I think the fact that it's unique is a pretty common thing. I think a lot of people, a lot of developers will have their, their own ways of doing things, you know, kind of based on the kind of criteria I just mentioned there.
0: Are you cool with me kind of walking through kind of the steps, or at least the steps from my own perspective, because I haven't written a video game. So sure, I'm a little in the dark here. So I guess my first question is, at what point uh, do you get involved in a particular video game? Is it at the inception? As a writer, are you kind of told, you know, from the company's perspective, we want to make a game like this. So you start developing it, like walk us through kind of the inception.
2: Yeah, you know, that is, is definitely something that varies. Uh, in some cases, it can all start with uh, the, the story and, and, you know, having a good writer attached to who, who wants to make something good. But in this case, in, in my particular case, the game was already well into production when I joined Zen Studios officially. And, you know, they already had like the shell of everything. And, you know, they had already picked out, you know, there's a lot of folklore that has inspired these things and, and those kind of inspired the characters and, and some of the levels, their environments, that sort of thing. So for me, in this particular case, it was kind of taking everything that was there and, uh, you know, giving some more kind of personal relationships to everybody, even researching further into the folklore and uh, building this world the world building was a huge part of it actually, uh, more than I anticipated. And then game writing in itself, depending on the kind of game you're writing again, it's tough in, in the way that you know you have to do a lot of explaining of, "Hey, we need to go here next, that sort of thing, as opposed to uh, you know everything moving the plot along or that sort of thing. So you know that's kind of one of the more interesting challenges because you know a lot of times you do just have to say. You know we have to go east or something like that <laughs> but you know the, the kind of the fun part as a writer is to take those kinds of very basic instructions and to make them into things that will better define your characters better define your world you know maybe even
0: move the plot along in some way yeah how do you find that balance between the freedom of choice versus the guiding down kind of the the rabbit hole of the story options
2: So, you know, it's tough to find uh, the balance sometimes, but really what you've got to do if if you're a good games writer, I think, is to be both a good writer and a good gamer because you have these instincts as a gamer, especially in a game like the one we're making where you want to like go around and and check every corner. Uh, You know, ours is very tile map based. So... A lot of people who play these games are going to go and explore every single uh, every single spot on the map that they can possibly unlock. And as a, a writer uh, and a gamer, you know, a lot of times I will be playing games like this and, you know, nobody says anything or, you know, I feel like there's something else that could happen that could make, uh, you know, going this other direction make a little more sense or stuff like that. So one thing that we did with this game was uh, a lot of, uh, luckily for me, a lot of the uh, levels were already kind of mapped out. So I would kind of just play the game or get a video of the game and go to every single place. And whenever like anything would happen, like, you know, you get a certain item or something like that. And a lot of games, you just pick up the item and you move on here, we'll talk about the item and be like, hey, you know, this is an interesting way to explain further something that may have happened in folklore, or that we're uh, fitting into our larger story, that's still kind of its new thing. Then, you know, there's certain points where you can uh, move along. And then like, if you kind of hit a certain tile on the map, like it triggers a conversation that's, you know, Probably relevant to what you need to do next, or maybe it's relevant to the overall story or the lore or whatever. I do think in, in games you have a little more room to talk about stuff that is like a, a bigger part of world building as opposed to uh, you know everything pertaining to plot or whatever right away, because you have a lot of extra time <laughs> just walking around and that sort of thing.
0: What about the arcs themselves? I assume there's, an, there's a higher level story arc, right? The character, yes. main character starts at point A and ends in point B. What does the writing of the arcs look like, and it, how does it differ from, let's say, writing a novel or a screenplay? Well,
2: I've never written a novel or a screenplay, but uh, I've listened to your show enough to have uh, <laughs> some, some general ideas. Yeah, so in my particular case, the general kind of we're going to go here and this kind of thing happens and we're going to go here and this kind of thing happens. That was all kind of laid out for me. So it was kind of, uh, it was kind of like, you know, we know what starts, the, what happens at the beginning. We know what happens at the end. And
0: in the middle, we need to make everything fit together. And is that written on like a word document or is there a piece of software you use yeah. to kind of manage all that? Is it like a Trello board? What What is, how do you manage like that?
2: You've named a lot. Pretty much all of the events. <laughs> okay, okay, cool. Uh, so uh, the initial kind of like uh, layout of the story was basically just a, a Word document, or I think it was actually a Google document, you know, take your pick. And then from there, uh, you know, I would go through it. I'd be like, hey, this doesn't really make sense. Why are they doing this? Uh, you mind if I change it to this? And, and you know, most of the time they're, they're like, yeah, cool, that, that makes a lot of sense. And then, you know, once you have that all... Laid out, which, you know, our game, I think, has uh, 13 total levels. So y- y- it's kind of just divided like that, basically chapters, more or less. And, uh, you know, it could be like, you know, chapter four, you're at this uh, decrepit castle, it's cursed. You meet this character. And as you go through the course of the level, she tells you about the curse of the castle. And then you have to try to lift the curse by defeating this ghost at the end. Minor spoiler alert there, I guess. But, you know, from there, once you have everything laid out, and that that took a while, uh, partly because I was still personally researching a lot of uh, folklore and trying to see if there was anything else that could fit in these holes here and there. I was still figuring out what the characters were all about because they'd created the characters and they gave them a basic characteristic, like... uh, You know, there's like a a bandit character, there's a hero character, there's a knight character. You know, we just referred to them as bandit, hero, knight, until uh, eventually, you know, I did some research, figured out, hey, what if we took this character from folklore and, you know, that's part of his backstory. So in a way, we're kind of making like a a Marvel game, you know, like I used to do. So once we have everything kind of laid out in that... uh, and that word document of what the story actually is. That's kind of when you attack the, the dialogue. And that's actually uh, for a lot of games and ours included is done in Excel, which isn't the most ideal uh, format for a writer, but you kind of have to because every line that somebody speaks needs a name of a file it's uh, actually programmed into. And, you know, then the Excel document itself can be you know, kind of programmed into the game. And I don't do the technical stuff, but every, you know, I I not only was creating lines, I was creating names for these files that would make sense. And those had to be in a certain format. So, you know, you're not just thinking like, what is this character going to say? You're thinking of uh, what can I call this file so that it will make sense to the, the coders putting it into the game. Which I think is something you don't normally uh, confront when you're writing a book or something like that.
0: And is that Excel sheet listing out all the various possibilities of character choices,
2: so to speak? It can. This particular game is not like a bioware or telltale kind of game where you're, you know, you're giving a lot of different things you can possibly say. We do have, like kind of uh, situational dialogue where, you know, early in the game, you have to pick up a bucket to and fill it with water to put out a fire, just as a very simple example. And, you know, very early on in your just kind of wandering around, you can pick up the bucket right away. And, you know, even the the people that you're with, you're like, know, why, why are you picking up a bucket? Like that's one thing I added, because it, it really doesn't make any sense in that moment. But uh, you know, it's also very easy to overlook this bucket. So once you get to this fire, it's like there's scenarios of, oh, you have the bucket. It's good that you picked that thing up. Or we should get that bucket that we saw earlier and fill it with water. You know, that, that kind. Of, there's different kinds of situations that arise in a video game uh, that you try to account for. And, um, you know, it gets it does get tricky. And sometimes you forget, like, what you actually had this person saying before. Or it's easy to kind of stumble over yourself there but I do think it makes the game better to kind of
0: make it feel real. And are you involved in, I imagine there's a level of creating maps.
2: Those were mostly done before I came on. But if I were, uh, if I had like started from the very beginning of the game's production, I'm I'm sure I would have had some kind of uh, a say in that, uh, you know, or at least like kind of, been looking over the, the digital shoulder of whoever was creating these maps and, and having them explain to me as they were doing it, like, what they they think the puzzle here should be, or what kind of an enemy you're going to fight right here, and that sort of thing. Because, yeah, it was, it was definitely very handy that, as the writer, uh, and I don't know that this would be the case, like, if we did a sequel or something, where they basically had the basic levels were mostly done, you know, no, not much polish or anything. But I was able to, uh, you know, just kind of look at videos and, and play through the game myself a little bit and, and figure out the kinds of interesting things that people could say, which I don't know that that would always be the case. You know, depending on the game you're working on, you might write the entire story before there's really even anything playable. You know uh, it it really kind of depends on what you have to work with
0: hey everyone we just wanted to take a quick second to thank you our listeners for your continued support the writer experience podcast has been self-funded from the beginning so whether you're an aspiring writer who has taken inspiration from the podcast or just enjoy hearing from professional writers please donate to our patreon at patreon.com writer experience You can also go to our website, writerexperience.com, and click the Patreon button. Thank you again. We really appreciate your support. And now, back to the show. There's different types of video game, all different types of video game genres, or even like techniques of play, or how you categorize different video games. How would you categorize this style of play as opposed to other video games? Because obviously with certain styles, you know, some games don't have maps, some are more just, right. you know? So like, where does this fall into the world of video games? And is there one source of what all the options are for these? Or is it kind of just a, a la carte, so to speak?
2: So the style of game that Operencia is would be a uh, classic RPG, uh, dungeon crawling first person. So there's all sorts of RPGs, role-playing games out there. My, I had to explain to my dad over the holidays what an RPG was. And uh, (laughs) so, you know, a role-playing game is is very much uh, about building up your characters and making them more powerful in in ways that you customize yourself. It's about finding new loot and uh, making your characters more powerful with better weapons and armor and that sort of thing, in addition to story. Story is usually a big part of RPGs as well. But not so much the the style of RPG that we're doing. Uh, you know, it's becoming more and more as the the years go by in games in general. But I do think we have at least a little bit more uh, in, in the the kind of style of game that we're doing. Which really, to be fair, there aren't a lot of these days. Which I think uh, there is, for people who played these games, they have a lot of affinity for them. So I think they'll like it for that reason. But yeah, in in terms of like games as a whole, the, you know, if you have just like an action game. Back in the old kind of NES Super Nintendo days, you didn't really have much story at all. There would be like a little cutscene. A cutscene is what we... (laughs) I realize there's not... uh, Maybe not everyone is a gamer out there. A cutscene is the kind of... Also known as a cinematic is the scene that plays in between uh, levels of a game to kind of advance the story along. Back in the NES days, you were lucky if you had those. If You think of like Super Mario Brothers or something like that. There's really nothing there. It's like, you know, you're out to save a princess from a big bad guy. Whereas today, you know, come to think of it, Nintendo hasn't really uh, done much
0: with that
2: either. (laughs) For Mario specifically, maybe he's a bad example. But games in general they they do have uh more of a uh of things connecting the levels together. Uh you know, it's not always the greatest story ever told by any means, but you know, there are some good game stories and a lot of them do come out of role-playing games, especially from places like Bioware. Uh, you know, and then it, it really does depend on the kind of genre you're working with as to how important a story can be. But then, you know, then you have games like, like Spider-Man that came out recently. And that is a very story uh, you know, that a lot of people are saying, like, it's better than some of the Spider-Man movies. And, you know, there may be some truth to that. Uh, you know, they really nailed who Peter Parker is and that sort of thing and all of his rogues gallery. And, but that's like a, a pure kind of action game where the, the story is very integrated into what you're doing. But, you know, there's also that's an open world game which is kind of a subset of action games which it gets pretty uh a lot of different subcategories of games but a lot of games like that one or uh red dead redemption 2 or something like that are, are open world games and they have like a story arc that kind of brings everything together and then there's a lot of side stuff you can do which really doesn't make any sense but uh you know it's there just for fun so you know i think uh there hasn't really been much in the way of, uh, kind of action games yet where everything makes sense. (laughs) You know, if you think about it too hard, uh, a lot of things in video games are, are are never going to make perfect sense just because the gameplay is really what people are there for. And, uh, you know, story is, is growing more and more important, but, uh, it always kind of, you know, it's, it's always the, in the passenger seat to the gameplay that's driving everything.
0: What makes for a compelling uh, story or compelling gameplay? What separates, you know, an average game versus a really great, compelling game that someone's going to walk away from and say, wow, that was a fun game. That was something I want to play again. That's something I want to share.
2: Again, it kind of depends on uh, the kind of game that maybe you expect you're going to get uh, when you start playing. So uh, there's a company called Telltale that uh, just uh, folded recently, but they were very well known for very story based video games, which were basically kind of choose your own adventure kind of stories, more or less. And you know, there would be kind of gameplay here and there, like maybe you'd have to shoot some bad guys or, or evade some attacks or something like that. But for the most part, the game was uh, making choices. That was the game. So In cases like that, the story is incredibly important. And, you know, where any of those games usually faltered was, uh, you know, you could do the same, you could do totally different things and get the same result sometimes, which kind of felt a little cheap. But overall, you know, Telltale was was very highly regarded for, you know, making games like that where, uh, you know, you'd have different endings, you'd have different characters dying. Depending on the choices you made and that sort of thing, the same goes for a company like Bioware, which makes these amazing, huge RPGs like uh, Star Wars: Knights of the Old Republic, Mass Effect, Dragon Age. Those are some of their big ones, and those actually are a lot more focused on gameplay, but they're also uh, very focused on specifically, I would say, character, and you know how those uh, characters fit within the overall story uh progressing you know your character a lot of times will have i think it's four things they can choose to say to anybody and you know the characters will that you talk to will remember that and you know maybe they'll even betray you or something because you weren't nice to them or you said the wrong thing or something like that so you know in those kinds of games that in addition to having just kind of the the cool uh, role playing game gameplay, which would have probably been enough in the 80s or 90s in a lot of cases, you get this story and these character interactions that, in some cases, actually can mean a lot because it, it, it is you specifically. I think the the best example of something happening like this in a uh, video game is the game Knights of the Old Republic, and I'm going to spoil the ending here, so. Skip ahead like a minute or two if, if uh, you're sensitive to that. But you play for 30 hours or so as this character. And throughout the course of the game, you keep hearing about uh, this former Sith master called Darth Revan. And you're, you're after a guy named Darth Malak. He's kind of the bad guy in the game. And Darth Revan was his master. So, And he's supposedly dead. But 30 hours or so into the game, you learn that your character who started out the game having amnesia is uh, Darth Raven. So that's like a really kind of powerful moment when you realize that this kind of face of evil is you. So like, to me, that's kind of the pinnacle of what a video game story or yeah, a video game writing can do that really no other medium can. It's like, it really makes you feel like you are the one that all this stuff is happening to.
0: Tell us about the team that you work with. I imagine there's other writers. I also imagine that you're working with developers. Uh, what's the interaction and the writing process between you and the people who design the gameplay?
2: Well, in this case, you know, uh, Zen Studios is, we kind of refer to ourselves as Indie+. plus. Uh, we're kind of on the very large end of, uh, of what an indie team would be. But for this particular game, you know, we feel like we're an indie team and it's a small team. So there was like a basic, uh, you know, plot layout and everything, uh, when I came in, but there's not like a whole team of writers. It's basically me and another guy named Oliver and, uh, you know, I'll bounce the ideas off of Oliver and some other guys on the team too. You mentioned Trello boards earlier, and that was, uh, something that, that I thought was very helpful would be like, I would throw out, uh, anything really like maybe it was an idea for what happens to this character. Maybe it was a a bug that I found in the game or something like that. And we'd bounce it off of each other. And, um, you know, like each person on the team typically has their own levels that they're more responsible for. So, um... In terms of, of the writing end of that, the, you know, like I said, the the, the basic what happens, that was kind of laid out for me already. And I was the one who kind of took the ticket took and, and put dialogue to it and made the characters interact and, uh, and that sort of thing and react to what's happening around them. So, you know, like sometimes I'll misinterpret what is actually happening in the game uh, or from, you know, at that stage in development, or they'll be like, hey, we're going to change this and this won't make sense anymore. So, you know, we need to fix that. Or, you know, maybe, maybe I messed up my own lore or something because that kind of thing can happen too when, when you're basically world building. Like you think you had this particular aspect of, uh, you know, how dragons are made, laid out, and then you realize that somebody else says something that you wrote two months ago that contradicts that. And, you know, like the, the team is, is good about playing their own game and, and realizing that sort of thing. And then, you know, I look out for that sort of stuff, too. But yeah, in, in this case, it's a, most of the actual like dialogue is, is me. And then just kind of the bigger world was uh, Oliver and, and the rest of the team. But yeah, then you have, you know, your BioWare the world where they have whole teams and that sort of thing. So it really does kind of vary depending on the developer that you're with.
0: And how long does that process go on for? Is this taking months? Is this taking years?
2: Uh, Yeah. So for me, this was a few months. Well, it was actually, I would say, a few months of of just flat out research and, and understanding what this kind of folklore I wasn't really previously familiar with was all about. And then, you know, taking it and having it help inform who these characters were and, you know, kind of deciding. How these characters, in some ways, uh, their their paths intersect. You know, we have like uh, folk tales that were never related in any way, but because there are sort of common elements, like in some cases, a character is named the same thing in different folk tales. So I'm kind of stealing this idea from Bill Willingham and fables, but you know, you can kind of take those and and uh, have them be the same character, uh, experience these two different things. Uh, you know, Fables, if you don't know, is a uh, really amazing uh, independent comic where uh, the characters that we're all familiar with uh, in, you know, living in the U.S. and, and England and such, uh, like Snow White, Big Bad Wolf, uh, characters like that, Cinderella, they all live in one kind of cohesive world. And, you know, Peter was one specifically. It was Peter was like Peter and the Wolf, Peter Piper any character uh, named Peter or, or, you know, that kind of thing was that one Peter. So I kind of stole that idea from Bill Willingham, which uh, I've always thought was a really great
0: idea. And what's next for you as a writer for this company? Are you moving on to the next game at this point? Or are you still involved? What's next?
2: Yeah, you know, a little bit of both. I'm actually working on another game. That game was even more kind of Written already than this one was uh, going in, so it's kind of just a, a heavy edit job for me on that. But uh, I'm working on that, and then you know I'm. And my actual title at Zen is creative director, so writing is actually just part of the whole thing. It's it has been the part of the thing since I've started pretty much. But you know who knows if this game's successful? I'll, hopefully, I'll have some help uh, writing the have a little bit of a team on Opera and Two if there is one you know, and then, uh, you know, other things. Zen makes a lot of great stuff. We're we're known for our pinball. If anybody out there has never played Pinball FX 3 is what we're on now. We've got a lot of great tables out there. I'll probably contribute to that too. That's not as heavy on writing, obviously, but there are things you can do to improve the writing even on a pinball table.
0: Before we go on to what we call a series of seemingly random questions, which you're maybe familiar with if you've listened to the show before. What is one piece of advice or one learning from your career that you would like to pass on to any aspiring writers out there, whether they be writers of video games or any other genres?
2: Yeah, you know, it's, my career has been so weird because <laughs> I've, I've been, I've done so many different types of things and, and bounced around to all these, like, really jobs I'm, I can't believe I've had, like Marvel and Lucasfilm. It's like, doesn't get much better than that, but uh, you know, I, I would say, you know, just whoever you meet, just be nice, and you know, even if you never meet them in person, you know, say interesting things on Twitter, say, you know, like comment on their YouTube videos or, or whatever, and 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 be someone who's saying interesting things that are not annoying, and then eventually they will know who you are, and then maybe they can help you out in in moving forward in your own goals, whatever those may be. There's a former intern of mine when I worked at Marvel, who that's exactly what he did. And I knew who he was. And he introduced himself to me after a panel at San Diego Comic Con. And I was like, oh, okay, I know your face now. And then a year later, we needed our intern. And he was like, hey, I'm available. And I was like, I know you are, I know you're smart, I know you know your stuff, I barely even need to interview you, but let's do that as a formality. And so he was our intern, and then eventually he would work for Marvel for a little bit, and then eventually he would go on to work on the game Marvel Heroes, and now he works at Blizzard on Hearthstone. So, you know, he's been very successful, and I've had other people I've worked with kind of similar experiences. So be nice, say interesting things.
0: Love it. Moving on to a series of seemingly random questions. Are you ready to rock and roll? I think so. All right.
2: There's always some that are are completely
0: out of the blue, so... Oh, yeah. First question. Your Twitter profile photo is an animated image, I believe, of yourself with Wolverine claws. Claws are going through a joystick, and you're shooting spider webs out of your other hand. Would you mind describing, please, the meaning behind this image? (laughs)
2: Well, that was, uh, I commissioned that, uh, to a very talented artist. Uh, her name's Kalia Chang. She works for Marvel. She's in Marvel's animation group. Uh, and I, I was just like, Hey, I've got this idea that I, I want for my, uh, my Twitter. This was back when I worked at Marvel in Marvel's video game division. So, you know, you have the Wolverine and you have the Spider-Man, uh, and you have the, the joystick that I'm destroying with Wolverine's claws. So that was the basic idea there. And since then, I've used it. I think it's the most fun image of me. (laughs) Um, And it's my main image. I have a YouTube channel as well. that's all about uh, superhero video games. It's called Superhero Video Games. You can get there, superhero.bg. That's kind of my uh, avatar there that I use.
0: So, you know, I love games. I love superheroes. That's kind of where that comes from. Next question, Chris. Uh favorite game? What is your favorite game and what is the greatest game ever written? And they could be the same thing, but they don't need to be. Wow.
2: You know, it's very hard to say greatest game because there's so many factors that go into that, you know, is something from the 80s the greatest game, probably not, but you know, it's what got me into things. So, does that count? But sure. I think I think the answer to both of your questions actually is The Witcher 3. The Witcher 3 is a brilliant role-playing game. It's incredibly narrative-driven with a character called The Witcher, which is actually a uh, Netflix series in the works now starring Henry Cavill, Superman. And it does an amazing job of making you feel like you are this Witcher character, which is basically kind of a Aragorn, more or less, from Lord of the Rings, but uh, he's got magical powers, and, and he's out to kill, you know, evil forces throughout his world. And it's got a nice, colorful cast of characters. And uh, the whole story as a whole does a really good job of making sense, which is incredibly tough, especially with a game that if you play, if you really play it, you're, you're in for like 150 hours. And I, I did that. It's one of the few games I've done that for that long. So yeah, that is definitely up there. You know, also up there is like Skyrim. But I think The Witcher edges it out because its character is so well defined. Whereas in Skyrim, you're basically just a guy who will more or less get the same kind of missions from everybody. So yeah, that would be my answer there.
0: There it is. The Witcher 3. Uh, Next question. If you could hang out in any of the worlds you created or were involved in creating, which one would it be? Wow. I mean, well, Opharencia
2: is really the only world I've created, I would say. Uh, I've, you know what? I kind of create, you know, there's some like lore in, uh, remember the, the Andrew Garfield, Amazing Spider-Man uh, movies? Mm-hmm. We had a game that took place actually after the events of the first movie. And there's a lot of kind of lore stuff in that uh, that I'm pretty proud of that, that I did help. Uh, immensely uh, in creating just the uh, kind of different takes on uh, uh, characters like Scorpion and Rhino and, and you know, classic Spider Man villains, but it fit more within the amazing Spider Man universe that the filmmakers had established. I don't know if I'd want to live there though, because that's just basically New York with a lot of worse stuff happening than already does. So, <laughs> true. Uh, uh, <laughs> so, um, I mean, I, I worked on some Star Wars games. I wrote a line in the, uh, the opening crawl to do Star Wars Battlefront 2, which is no longer canon, but was for a while. So that's one of my favorite things I've written. So I'm going to say uh, just like on the Millennium Falcon or something in, in outer space is, is probably nice. That works for me. Yeah.
0: <laughs> nice. Good choice. Good choice. The next question is, what is one thing about your life or your career? that nobody knows, that you want to share with the Writer Experience Podcast? Yeah, you
2: ask this all the time. I do. And, and I always think I need to answer this when it comes up. And I, I still, you know what? I'm going to tell you about a job I didn't get. Okay. Yeah, a lot of people don't know this. Uh, you know, my very close people know this. But I really, you know, in the 90s and still today, you know, a huge comic book fan. And if you were a comic book fan in the 90s, you know what Wizard Magazine is. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, Wizard was, was you know, my comic book Bible throughout the 90s. And I interviewed there in 1999. And I didn't get the job. But six months later, I did get the job at the official PlayStation magazine, which was a much healthier career path. So, you know, I, I think uh, there's a big lesson there where, you know, you can have your heart set on something and it cannot work out for you, but it can work out to be something that's actually better in the long run. So, you know, that's a job I didn't get that, uh, you know, it really hurt me at the time or it was really disappointing anyway, but I recovered nicely from it. So, uh, that's, that's my answer.
0: There it is. Last question. And this might be the toughest question of all. Did you have fun today? Absolutely. That's no, what we like I, to
2: hear. It's always, I love talking about video games and writing. It's like, yeah, why, why not? I, yeah, that was great. Um, Oh, you didn't ask me the, the writer living or dead question wow. I'm sorry for that one.
0: Wow. you yeah, I, I replaced it with a more video game related question, but we can add in a bonus <laughs> question. You're the first person calling me out on, on not asking. Yeah, they, uh, yeah, yeah. Love it. Uh,
2: All right, let's do it. So when I was in fifth grade, I had to read a book by Lloyd Alexander called the book of three and like halfway through it, I realize, you know, I'm I'm really liking this, but it seems really familiar. Oh yeah, it's that movie, The Black Cauldron, that I saw three years ago. And when I was eight years old, I loved it. I realize it's not that great now. But. Uh, Lloyd Alexander is basically, uh, if Disney, who I think still has the rights, if they wanted to make their own kind of Harry Potter, I think they could legit do it if they gave the books a fair shake. Because The Black Cauldron movie was such a, you know, cluster that. It just didn't work out the way it should have, but, uh, it has everything like a good Lord of the Rings or something like that has, which, you know, Tolkien was, would also be up there. But, uh, Lloyd Alexander, I wrote him in the nineties too, and he wrote back and he said nice things. And I would have loved to have actually met that man. He created actually in some ways, uh, his world for Dane, which is based on Welsh legend has in some ways inspired, uh, what I've done with Operencia and kind of European folklore, central European folklore. So he would be the man for that.
0: There it is. Uh So with that said, do you want to plug anything? Uh, Obviously Operencia.
2: Yeah, we just recently announced that Operencia is coming this spring for Xbox One on consoles. And if you want to play it on PC, it's available at the Epic Game Store and on Windows 10.
0: Anything else? Maybe your Twitter handle?
2: Yeah, if you just go to my Twitter, which is at CBake76, 76 76, you can get a nice kind of feel for everything I do. I mean, I'm kind of proud of my uh, little fun side project of my uh, YouTube channel about superhero video games, which you can access at superhero.vg. But yeah, Operencia, if you want to follow the game, it's at Operencia RPG, which is
0: O-P-E-R-E-N-C-I-A, RPG. (laughs) Love it. Uh, yeah. check it out uh, well Chris thank you for taking the time Absolutely. probably heard me say this before but this was a first for video game so really had uh, a lot of fun with it and I feel like we only uh, scratched the tip of the iceberg so maybe we'll have you back on sometime that'd be great awesome man thanks so much thank you uh, and thanks to our listeners we hope to see you next week thank you so much for listening to the writer experience if you enjoyed the episode today Please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McCleod.